Section 11 of The House of Arden. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sonja. The House of Arden by Edith Nesbitt. Chapter 8. Guy Fawkes. Part 2. The woman had dragged Edward out of the room and by the stairs by this time. Elfrida, following, decided that her speech was the harshest part of her. If she was really horrid, thought the girl, she wouldn't try to cheer him up with velvet and swords and diamond buckles. Can't I go? she said aloud. The woman turned and slapped her, not hard, but smartly. I told thee how it would be if thou wouldst not hold that dunning tongue. No, thou can't go. Little ladies stay at home and sew their samplers. Thou'll go to court soon enough, I won't. So Frida sat and watched, while Edred was partially washed. The soap got in his eyes, just as it gets in yours nowadays, and dressed in the beautiful white page's dress, white velvet, diamond buckles, little sword and all. "'You are splendid,' she said. "'Oh, I do wish I was a boy,' she added, for perhaps the two thousand and thirty-second time in her short life. "'It's not that thou'll be wishing when thy time comes to go to court,' said the woman. There, my little lord, give thy old nurse a kiss, and stand very cautious and perfect, not to soil thy fine feathers. And when thou hearest thy mother's robes on the stairs, go out and make thy bow like thy tutor taught thee. It was not Edward's tutor who had taught him to bow, but when a rustling of silks sounded on the stairs, he was able to go out and make a very creditable obeisance to the stately magnificence that swept down towards him. Elfrida thought it best to curtsy beside her brother. Aunt Edith had taught them to dance the minuet, and somehow the bow and curtsy which belonged to that dance seemed the right thing now. And the lady on the stairs smiled, well pleased. She was a wonderfully dressed lady. Her bodice was of yellow satin, richly embroidered, her petticoat of gold tissue with stripes, her robes of red velvet, lined with yellow muslin with stripes of pure gold. She had a point lace apron and a colour of white satin under a delicately worked ruff, and she was a blaze of beautiful jewels. "'Thou art a fine page indeed, my son,' said the lady. "'Stand aside and take my train as I pass. And thou, dear daughter, so soon as thou art of an age for it, thou shalt have a train and a page to carry it for thee.' She swept on, and the children followed. Lord Arden was in the hall, hardly less splendid than his wife and they all went off in a coach that was very grand, if rather clumsy. Its shape reminded Elfrida of the coach which the fairy godmother made for Cinderella out of the pumpkin, and she herself, as she peeped through the crowd of liveried servants to see it start, felt as much like Cinderella as anyone need wish to feel, and perhaps a little more. But she consoled herself by encouraging a secret feeling she had that something was bound to happen, and sure enough something did. And that is what I am going to tell you about. I own that I should like to tell you also what happened to Edred, but his part of the adventure was not really an adventure at all, though it was a thing he will never forget as long as he remembers any magic happenings. We went to the king's house, he told Elfrida later. Whitehall is the name. I should like to call my house Whitehall, if it wasn't called Arden Castle, you know. And there were thousands of servants, I should think, all much finer than you could dream of, 
and lords and ladies and lots of things to eat, and bear-baiting and cock-fighting in the garden. Cruel, said Elfrida, I hope you didn't look. A little I did, said Edward. Boys have to be brave to bear sights of blood and horror, you know, in case of them growing up to be a soldier. But I like the mask best. The Queen acted in it. There wasn't any talking, you know, only dressing up and dancing. It was something like the pantomime, but not so sparkly. And there was a sea with waves that moved all silvery, and panelled scenes and dolphins and fishy things, and a great shell that opened, and the Queen and the ladies came out and danced, and I had a lot to eat, such rummy things, and then I fell asleep, and when I woke up the King himself was looking at me and saying I had a bonny face. Bonny means pretty. You'd think a king would know better, wouldn't you? This was all that Edward could find to tell. I could have told more, but one can't tell everything, and there's Elfrida's adventure to be told about. When the coach had disappeared in the mist and the mud, for the weather was anything but summer weather, Elfrida went upstairs to the room where she had left the old nurse. She did not know where else to go. Sit thee down, said the nurse, and sew on thy sampler. There was the sampler, very fine indeed, in a large polished wood frame. I wish I needn't, said Elfrida, looking anxiously at the fine silks. Tut, tut, said the nurse, how will thee grow to be lady if thou doesn't mind thy needle? I'd much rather talk to you, said Elfrida coaxingly. Thou canst chatter as well as sue, the nurse said, as well I know to my cost. With that thy needle flew so fast as thy tongue. Sit thee down, and if the little tree be done by dinner-time, thou shalt have leave to see thy cousin Richard. I suppose, thought Elfrida, taking up the needle, that I am fond of my cousin Richard. The sewing was difficult and hurt her eyes, but she persevered. Presently someone called the nurse, and Elfrida was left alone. Then she stopped persevering. Whatever is the good, she asked herself, of working at a sampler that you haven't time to finish, and that would be worn out, anyhow, years and years before you were born. The Elfrida who is doing that sampler is the same age as me, and born the same day, she reflected. And then she wondered what the date was, and what was the year. She was still wondering, and sticking the needle idly in and out of one hole, without letting it take the silk with it, when there was a sort of clatter on the stairs. The door burst open, and in came a jolly boy of about her own age. "'Thy task done?' he cried. "'Mine, too. Old Parrot Nose kept me hard at it. But I thought of thee, and for once I did all his biddings. So now we are free. Come, play ball in the garden.' This Elfrida concluded must be Cousin Dick, and she decided at once that she was fond of him. There was a big and beautiful garden behind the house. The children played ball there, and they ran in the box alleys and played hide-and-seek among the cut trees and stone seats and statues and fountains. Old Parrot Nose, who was Cousin Richard's tutor, and was dressed in black, and looked as though he had been eating lemons and vinegar, sat on a seat and watched them, or walked up and down the flag terrace with his thumb in a dull-looking book. When they stopped their game to rest on a stone step, leaning against the stone seat, Old Parrot Nose walked very softly up behind the seat, and stood there where they could not see him and listened. Listening is very dishonorable, as we all know, but in those days tutors did not always think it necessary to behave honorably to their pupils. I always have thought, and I always shall think, 
that it was the eavesdropping of that tiresome old tutor, Mr. Parados, or Paradnose, which caused all the mischief. But Elfrida has always believed, and always will believe, that the disaster was caused by her knowing too much history. That is why she is so careful to make sure that no misfortune shall ever happen on that account anyway. That is one of the reasons why she never takes a history prize at school. You never know, she says. And in fact, when it comes to a question in an historical examination, she never does know. This was how it happened. Elfrida, now that she was no longer running about in the garden, remembered the question that she had been asking herself over the embroidery frame, and it now seemed sensible to ask the question of someone who could answer it. So she said, "'I say, Cousin Richard, what day is it?' Elfrida understood him to say that it was the 5th of November. "'Is it really?' she said. "'Then it's Guy Fawkes's day. Do you have fireworks?' And in pure lightness of heart he began to hum, Please to remember the fifth of November, the gunpowder treason at plot. I see no reason why gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. "'Tis not a merry song, cousin,' said Cousin Richard, "'nor a safe one. "'Tis best not to sing of treason.' "'But it didn't come off, you know, and he's always burned in the end,' said Elfrida. "'Are there more verses?' Cousin Dick asked. "'No.' "'I wonder what treason the ballad deals with,' said the boy." "'Don't you know?' "'It was then that Elfrida made the mistake of showing off her historical knowledge. "'I know, and I know some of the names of the conspirators, too, "'and who they wanted to kill and everything.' "'Tell me,' said Cousin Richard idly. "'The king hadn't been fair to the Catholics, you know,' said Elfrida, full of importance. "'So a lot of them decided to kill him, and the Houses of Parliament. "'They made a plot. There were a whole lot of them in it. "'They said Lord Arden was, but he wasn't.' and some of them were to pretend to be hunting, and to seize the Princess Elizabeth and proclaim her queen, and the rest were to blow the Houses of Parliament up when the king went to open them. "'I never heard this tale from my tutor,' said Cousin Richard, laughing. "'Proceed, cousin.' "'Well, Mr. Piercy took a house next to the Parliament House, and they dug a secret passage to the vaults under the Parliament Houses, and they put three dozen casks of gunpowder there and covered them with faggots, and they would have been all blown up,' Only Mr. Tresham brought to his relation, Lord Monteagle, that they were going to blow up the king, and— "'What king?' said Cousin Richard. "'King James the first, said Elfrida. "'Why, what?' For Cousin Richard had sprung to his feet, and old Parrot nose at Elfrida by the wrist. He sat down on the seat and drew her gently till she stood in front of him. Gently, but it was like the hand of iron in the velvet glove, of which no doubt you have often read. "'Now, Mistress Arden,' he said softly, "'tell me over again this romance that you tell your cousin.' Elfrida told it. "'And where did you hear this pretty story?' he asked. "'Where are we now?' gasped Elfrida, who was beginning to understand. "'Here in the garden. Where else?' said Cousin Richard, who seemed to understand nothing of the matter. "'Here in my custody,' said the tutor, who thought he understood everything. Now tell me all, every name, every particular, or it will be the worse for thee and thy father. Come, sir, said Cousin Richard, you frighten my cousin. It is but a tale she told. She is always merry and full of many inventions. It is a tale she shall tell again before those of higher power than I, said the tutor, 
in a thoroughly disagreeable way, and his hand tightened on Elfrida's wrist. "'But, but, it's history!' cried Elfrida in despair. "'It's in all the books!' "'Which books?' he asked keenly. "'I don't know, all of them,' she suddenly answered, suddenly because she now really did understand just the sort of adventure in which her unusual knowledge of history, and, to do her justice, her almost equally unusual desire to show off, had landed her. "'Now,' said the hateful tutor, for such Elfrida felt him to be, "'tell me the names of the conspirators.' "'It can't do any harm,' Elfrida told herself. "'This is James the first's time, and I'm in it. "'But it's three hundred years ago all the same, "'and it all has happened, "'and it can't make any difference what I say, "'so I'd better tell all the names I know.' "'The hateful tutor shook her. "'Yes, all right,' she said, "'and to herself she added, "'It's only a sort of dream. "'I may as well tell.' "'Yet when she opened her mouth "'to tell all the names she could remember "'of the conspirators of the poor old gunpowder plot "'that didn't come off all those years ago,' She found herself not telling those names at all. Instead, she found herself saying, I'm not going to tell. I don't care what you do to me. I'm sorry I said anything about it. It's all nonsense. I mean, it's only history, and you ought to be ashamed of yourself listening behind doors. I mean, out of doors, behind stone seats, when people are talking nonsense to their own cousins. Elfrida does not remember very exactly what happened after this. She was furiously angry, and when you are furiously angry, things get mixed and tangled up in a sort of dreadful red mist. She only remembers that the tutor was very horrid, and twisted her wrists to make her tell, and she screamed and tried to kick him. That cousin Richard, who did not scream, did, on the other hand, succeed in kicking the tutor, that she was dragged indoors and shut up in a room without a window, so that it was quite dark. "'If only I'd got Edward here,' she said to herself, with tears of rage and mortification. I try to make some poetry and get the Mouldywarp to come and fetch us away, but it's no use till he comes home. When he did come home, after the bear-baiting and the cock-fighting and the banquet and the mask, Lord and Lady Arden came with him, of course, and they found the house occupied by an armed guard, and in the dark little room a pale child, exhausted with weeping, who showed them again and again that it was all nonsense, it was only history, and she hadn't meant to tell, indeed she hadn't. Lady Arden took her in her arms, and held her close and tenderly, in spite of the grand red velvet and the jewels. "'Thou's done no harm,' said Lord Arden, a pack of silly tales. "'Tomorrow I'll see my Lord Salisbury, and prick the silly bubble. "'Go thou to bed, sweetheart,' he said to his wife, "'and let the little maid lie with thee. "'She's all a-tremble with tears and terrors.' "'Tomorrow my lord's secretary shall teach these popinjays their plays, "'and Arden House shall be empty of them, "'and we shall laugh at this fine piece of work "'that a solemn marplot has made out of a name or two "'and a young child's fancies. "'By tomorrow night all will be well, "'and we shall lie down at peace.' "'But when tomorrow night came, "'it had, as all nights have, the day's work behind it. "'Lord Arden and his lady and the little children "'lay, not in Arden House and Soho, not in Arden Castle on the downs by the sea, but in the Tower of London, charged with high treason and awaiting their trial. For my Lord Salisbury had gone to those walls under the Houses of Parliament, and had found that bold soldier of fortune, Guy Fawkes, with his dark eyes, his dark lantern, and his dark intent, and the names of those in the conspiracy had been given up, 
and King James was saved, and the Parliaments, but the Catholic gentlemen whom he had deceived, and who had turned against him and his deceits, were face to face with the rack and the scaffold. And I can't explain it all, because, of course, Elfrida knew as well as I do that it all happened three hundred years ago, or, if you prefer to put it that way, that it had never happened, and that, anyway, it was Mr. Tresham's letter to Lord Monteagle, and not Elfrida's singing of that silly rhyme that had brought the Ardens and all these other gentlemen to the tower, into the shadow of death. And yet she felt that it was she who had betrayed them. She felt also that if she had betrayed a base plot, she ought to be glad, and she was not glad. She had taken advantage of having been born so much later than all these people, and of having been rather good at history, to give away the lives of all these nobles and gentlemen. That they were traitors to king and parliament made no manner of difference. It was she, as she felt but too bitterly, who was the traitor, and in the thick-walled room in the tower, where the name of Raleigh was still fresh in its carving, Elfrida lay awake, long after Lady Arden and Edward were sleeping peacefully, and hated herself, calling herself a traitor, a coward, and an utter duffer. End of section 11 Recording by Sonja